Storytelling Vendors, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, is Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, we've got a bunch of little things in the show today. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado. Tim is at Azimuth Audio, and the podcast is at The Tone Benders. Off the top of the show, we want to tell you about a bunch of new changes that are going on within the podcast. So we've got a new website, ToneBendersPodcast.com, where it used to be ToneBenders.net. So if you can go to that website now, that would be awesome. And there is a couple great new features from that website. Every episode from the entire archive is available there instead of only the most recent 10, as was the case with our previous website. And also every episode is categorized based on the kind of sound that we talk about in the show. So it's easy if you're looking to do research on Foley or anything along those lines, you can just find that category and find everything that we've covered on it in one spot. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the reason we went with a whole new website and a new URL is because we wanted to implement some new features and, and have a little bit more control, make the whole thing a little more user friendly for for the end user. With the template and the URL, we just have more tools to do that with. I'm real happy with the way that comes out. I'm the one that's 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 administering this one and it and it feels good. Um, the comment system works well. There's a lot of plugins that are working well. There's a lot of tags that are working well. And we've even got some more features that are going to start rolling into it in the coming weeks and months. One thing I'm personally going to do is I'm going to permanently abandon my old blog, which is the soundmyheadmakes.blogspot.com. And I'm going to start blogging on the Tonebenders website with anything that makes more sense in written form than it does in audio form. Um, which, you know, those things are fewer and fewer these days. I get so much out of what we do with the podcast that, you know, I haven't been doing a whole lot on my personal blog anyway. And so I feel like at the, at the tonebenderspodcast.com website, it's going to be a better place for those type of audio thoughts and, and tests and whatever else I end up doing to, to live since that, ag- since that audience is kind of already aggregated around what we're doing on the podcast. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. My blog, azimuthaudio.ca, the only blog posts I'm putting up now are to say that a new Tonebenders podcast is up. Yeah. So, yeah, I used to be very rigorous about putting at least one blog up a a week, but now with the podcast, all my energy is kind of going towards that. And uh, it's all for the better, for sure. Yeah, it's better just to kind of, you know, put the whole thing together as a package and have it be a little centralized place for us to aggregate where our thoughts are and, and how it all works. So... Hopefully everyone likes the new look. Um, certainly open to any feedback, any any features that you want to see added, any problems you're having with it, let us know. Um, but but generally, I'm really happy with it. I feel like it's a big step up. Yeah, you did a great job with it, Renee. Thanks. I just headbutted the mic. <laughs> As you do. That's a pro move right there. <laughs> uh, the other big change is the RSS feed. So we've changed both the URL and the RSS feed. So... Tim, tell me why we changed the RSS feed. Well, we are now on SoundCloud as our hosting, and SoundCloud lets us uh, put every episode up on the iTunes feed, so it's not just the most recent ones. And also with SoundCloud, if you, you can leave comments right on the timeline. So the best way to make the switch, and unfortunately we got to ask everyone to do this, if you're subscribing through iTunes, there are currently two iTunes feeds for this podcast. There's Tone Benders which is our old feed, which will still be updated for a few more episodes. And now there's Tonebenders Podcast, 
which is the new feed. And we're going to ask everybody, if you could, to go subscribe to Tonebenders Podcast. And that will get you the new feed. It will be up instantaneously when they're ready, where our old feed takes a little while to update, sometimes days, where this new uh, feed will, the second the show's edited and up, you will get it. And there's a bunch of other positives, but the main thing is everyone, unfortunately, has to go switch their RRS feed in iTunes or whatever other podcatcher you're using. If you're using another podcatcher, you can find the RRS feed from our new website, tonemenderspodcast.com. Yep, or you can grab it straight from SoundCloud, too. Um, the SoundCloud implementation is really cool. The The inline comments are the big, big thing for me. I just I love people having an option to put a comment right in the audio, right where it's supposed to be. That's the big innovation that SoundCloud had forever ago, but it's specifically useful in podcasts um, because these shows tend to get long. So if you're looking at an hour long show, you can put a comment right at the point that's causing you to have a reaction and everyone will know exactly where that is and you jump straight to it. So in the, in the context of podcasts, it's great. I'm, I'm loving the fact that SoundCloud is supporting podcasters. I'm loving the uh, the stats that we get on the back end. I'm loving the way that it integrates with the website. I, I just think SoundCloud's just a killer platform for what we're doing. One of the things about this podcast that makes it worthwhile for me, and I assume the same will be true for you, Renee, is the interaction we get. We Not only the people we get to interview on the show, which is always great because they wouldn't necessarily talk to me if I phoned them without having that connection to the show. Right. The people that listen to the show are always getting back to us and giving us ideas. For instance, last episode that we did was a roundtable of experts in recording vehicles. And that idea was sent in to us by a listener named Dan Leith. We tossed the idea around, but his email saying this would be a good idea kind of brought that idea back to life and it made that episode happen. Uh, same with a future episode. One of our listeners connected us with a, an amazing interview that I don't want to mention yet, but uh, we got a big show coming up, and uh, that was also through a listener. So we really appreciate the interaction with people and the SoundCloud lets that happen with less confusion because you can put your comment right on the spot in the show where we got something wrong or you want further information on it. And I think that's going to really work out. We want to keep encouraging people to comment and interact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've also got a new feature on the site that was kind of there, like it was foreshadowed on the old site, but now it's actually fleshed out and that's the support the podcast page. So there are different ways you can support the podcast and support the podcast means ways to, to get a little money headed in our direction so that we can pay for hosting fees or maybe send some gifts out to the guests. No podcast ever really makes money. It's like not like we could pay mortgages or anything off of this, but you know, a little bit of support will go a long way with regards to what we're able to bring to the show and, and who we're able to bring on and 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 just the the broader platform of what we're able to do. So the ways you can support it are with the affiliate links that we've set up. We have both Amazon and B and H. So if you click through either of those two links and you end up buying anything, it doesn't cost you any more, but they break off a little chunk. They send it our way. Really useful things to do. And if you really want a power user, you know, th those types of affiliate links, you can just replace your Amazon or your B&H bookmark in your browser with the click through from our website. And you don't even have to go to our website. You just replace your bookmark with the uh, URL that you get from our website. Anytime you use your bookmark, it'll automatically in the background support the podcast, support what we're doing, and, and help us out on that on that end. Uh, it's a really cool kind of way that those are working. Yeah, and there's also a tip jar if you feel like just uh, throwing us a buck or two for out of the goodness of your heart. I think we're, it makes us uncomfortable asking for money. We, we're not in this to make money. We are more 
than happy to do this all for free. All the editing, all the organizing we do because we love it. It's just that now we have expenses every month to keep the podcast going. And uh, it'd be great if anyone can chip in and help us with that because we're doing a lot of work and it's a little painful to do all this work and then be in the hole at the end of the day as well. The other non-monetary ways to support the podcast, and this is just as important, it's a great way to support us, is you go to iTunes, you rate us on iTunes, maybe write a little review, go to Stitcher, rate us on Stitcher, write us a review there. Those distribution networks um, gain us greater exposure. It's it's This is a niche of a niche, what we're talking about. We're talking about podcasts for people that do sound design. So, I mean, the number of people that'll, that are actually totally locked into this as a percentage of the world population that's connected to the internet is ridiculously small. But for those that are interested in it, it's good to have good ratings. Um, we try and put out a good show. And so by, by rating us and, and by putting reviews up on iTunes and Stitcher specifically, that helps get us more exposure out to other people that may not otherwise come across us. And that's something new as well. We're on Stitcher now. Yeah. So if you're one of those people who has enough money to get one of those fancy cars that Stitcher is, uh, comes built into the car so you can listen online, you can do that with us now. Yeah. I actually stream a lot of podcasts in the car. I'm, I'm such a huge like podcast head now. I don't, I like, I'll listen to sports radio a little bit when I know they're going to talk about Dallas stars hockey, basically. <laughs> um, but outside of that, I'm pretty much in podcast land. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to put a resources page up with with all the podcasts that are kind of on my catcher. But I do a lot of just streaming of podcasts in the in the car. You know, with the way that cell connections work now, if you have a decent data plan, you can just kind of pull whatever you want, even if you haven't downloaded it yet. The podcatchers that are out there right now are just kick ass. It's fun. It's fun to be in the middle of it all. Yeah, it doesn't work when you take the subway to work. Subway, you can't get the data connection. So I got to download everything ahead of time, but. Uh, so Stitcher is no good for me, but lots of people love it and we're on it. And one last thing, a couple episodes ago, we did a book giveaway contest for the Foley Grail and we just want to thank everybody for entering and all the positive vibes we got. Yeah, it was way cool. Yeah. If you go to our SoundCloud page for episode 24, which was our kind of summer reading guide, there's lots of comments recommending other books that you might want to read. Uh, so the winners have been contacted and the books have been sent out and uh, hopefully we're going to do another book or some kind of giveaway contest coming up. And we just want to thank everybody for taking part. Yeah. Big thanks to Vanessa Ament also for getting her publisher to donate the books. I thought that was awesome. Big thanks to her for writing the books. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's probably the harder task. And, yeah. And that she was, was... took a couple more hours to write it <laughs> than to ask your publisher to give us a couple of copies. But, uh, and for coming on the podcast, she was great. Uh, that interview was great. Um, and the book is great as well. So um, if you didn't win, go pick it up anyway, because it was it's a great book. Great. So that's all the stuff we have to update on just kind of the housekeeping of the podcast. Yeah. So now let's get down to business for this episode. Let's do it. Now that we're done with all that, uh, let's get to our interview for today. Renee, do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, today we have Karen Collins. Karen is the author of Game Sound, which was published in 2008, and Playing With Sound, uh, which was published in 2013, both on MIT Press. She's a freelance sound designer, founder of Atonal, which is spelled E-H-T-O-N-A-L. They developed vMix, and she's working right now on GameSoundDoc.com, which is uh, Beep the Movie, which is a Kickstarter documentary about doing game sound design. Hey, Karen, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. It's nice to meet you. Well, it's very nice to be here. Thank you. 
So tell us a little bit about this uh, this Kickstarter and this documentary. Well, uh, the Kickstarter started as a, a book project. I thought for my next book, I would write a complete history of game sound. And it's something I've been sort of thinking about doing for a while. I covered a couple of chapters of it in my, my book, Game Sound. And um, I thought, well, this time I need to do something a bit different and talk to these people who actually worked on these, these games. I mean, a lot's changed in sort of the 10 years since I was writing that book. And these people are a lot more accessible now. So I thought, you know what, I've got to go and interview all of these people for this book. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to interview them, I might as well bring a, a camcorder along. And then the camcorder became, why don't I bring a, a, a camera guy along? And then that sort of spun into this giant snowballing uh, effect of people coming on board, wanting to turn this into a really great feature film about game sound. So it's it's kind of become this this massive but very exciting project. So we we've launched a Kickstarter, but yeah, we still need to raise a bit of funding to help us license all the music that we want to put into this documentary, pay for travel costs, insurance, all that kind of stuff. And broadly, what's the scope of the documentary? Uh, how many game companies do you plan on visiting? Well, you know, we're going to cover as much as we can. It kind of in part will depend on how much money we can raise on Kickstarter. Right now we have a list of about 60 people we'd really like to interview. Whether we can get to all those people, it kind of depends on on the funding and and the time involved. But um, we want to cover everything from, you know, going way back to looking at the Victorian mechanical arcades that kind of influenced some of the early video game sound design um, up to today. So we're covering pretty much everything um, from North America, from Europe and from Japan. Can you tell us a little bit about the crew, um, about the people that will actually be working on the film? Leonard Paul, he's the composer. He did the music for the Canadian documentary film, The Corporation. He's also done a lot of game uh, music. He's worked for a bunch of game companies. Our our post-production manager is uh, Roy O'Neill. Roy's worked on all kinds of TV shows and film, as well as games. We have uh, post-production team Savalis. Uh, they're Scotland's biggest post-production audio facility. They've come on board to do our mixing and all of our post-production audio. Um, the crew, we've got a couple of people helping out with actually the, the making of the film. We've got a videographer named Matt Charlton. Uh, we have... A number of research assistants and librarians. One of the things we want to do with this is actually archive some of this material. Like what what goes into a film is, you know, maybe you get one minute of a, an hour-long interview. We want to take all that extra footage, put it online, make it available for other researchers or for fans to watch the whole interview. So we also want to be able to archive that so that people in the future can go back and watch those interviews and use them for research purposes as well. That's cool. Is that going to be back or exclusive or is that going to be more kind of broadly distributed? I think we'll actually leave that widely distributed. You know, I recognize that not everybody can contribute, you know, even though the the lowest contribution value is, I think, $2, but not everybody can afford to contribute. And we really want to make this available for everybody, not just now, but for the future as well. There's people that won't hear about the Kickstarter that really want to watch that video. So I don't want to be too exclusive uh, about that footage. What's your background that makes you the uh, person that's going to make this documentary? Well, um, I've published four books on video game sound. I've been researching the field for the last uh, 12 or 13 years. 
I've worked with a number of industry groups. I work with um, the ISIG, which is the Interactive Audio Special Interest Group. I worked with them for a number of years on, on some several different projects with industry people. Um, so I've got lots of contacts in the game industry. And uh, I go to GDC, giving a bunch of talks at, at the Game Developers Conference every year. Um, so I've gotten to know this group of people really well. I've, I've earned their trust. So they're, they're going to open up to me in ways that sort of a stranger coming in from outside isn't going to do. And as far as films, I've done a number of, of short films in the past, um, but this would be my first feature-length film. Is this your first swing at Kickstarter? This is, you know, <laughs> it's been... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, a real learning experience. I definitely was not expecting the the overwhelming rush of emotions that is is constantly a, a part of the Kickstarter campaign. I yep. mean, from from not sleeping and the adrenaline rush beforehand to, you know, feeling overwhelmed with gratitude at, at people contributing, this kind of wild up and down uh, emotion. But also, you know what, if, if it's not successful, it's been successful in other ways because I've had people come out of the woodwork, like the, these old game audio guys just emailing me saying, wow, you know, you could kind of interview me for this because I did this project or I did this project. Project. So I'm getting lots of great contacts, people that maybe haven't been in touch with the industry as much in recent years. They've gone on to do other things, but uh, they've heard about this documentary and they want to be a part of it. So that's really exciting. That's really cool. What's your timeline? Say everything goes well and you get funded, you know, you get funded about where your, where your target is. How long do you think it would take to actually produce the entire film? Well, our plan is to start filming in October and film right through till early spring, potentially uh, as late as May, but we would be editing as we go. So by midsummer, we'd be jumping full on it into post-production. That will take a few months, uh, hopefully late fall, early winter. We would actually have a finished product going out to the festivals and then general release uh, in the spring of 2016. Cool. Even just making this uh, this two minute campaign video took us about two months. Yeah, you know, it's a it's an incredible amount of time. And uh, I've worked on a you know an animated short where we were using stop motion animation, and that took us like four years for this thirteen minute film. People have no idea how much work is, uh, goes on behind the scenes of these things. For sure, it is inclusive of pre production. Like you said, it took you two months to even to even get get prepped up for the uh, for the Kickstarter. I, I find that pre production really really is super important on on Kickstarters, though. I mean, as far as just setting everything up and making sure that you're achieving something, um, Kickstarter is really kind of a misnomer to me. It's it's not something that you use to get started. It's something that you use to kind of close the deal when you're this close to to having everything put together. At least in my own personal experience with it. Renee's a bit of a Kickstarter pioneer. He did a uh, Kickstarter for a trolley sound effects library. That was a big success. Oh, that's awesome. So he knows of which he speaks. Have you seen the latest one? It's a medieval weapon sounds library. Yes. Yeah, I back that one. Um, you know, those guys, they, uh, they did the other weapons one. Guns. Seems like a bunch of students, but you know they weren't asking for any money at all, really. Um, and they actually turned in a pretty okay product. Their foley actually sounded really great. You know, the big problem with what they did the first time around was the metadata i think they they heard about that enough to where that may not that probably won't happen with the medieval weapons thing <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I love those kinds of projects where, you know, you know, it's just somebody just trying to figure things out, going out there and hoping to get a little bit of money to get them started. I mean, that's my favorite kind of project rather than these. I mean, they're basically companies that come in and they, they've got a, a special production team making their fancy videos for them. And, and they've got fancy graphic designers and all this kind of stuff. That's, yeah, I mean... It, we love those products, but I prefer to back the, the little guy that's going to have a harder time getting there. Yeah, for sure. I just backed a butter knife that's specifically designed to work with uh, cold butter. It's very exciting stuff. <laughs> Will that go in potato salad too? You didn't back that, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> um, are you dealing with any Kickstarter stigma? You know, there's there have been some pretty high profile Kickstarter flops recently. Um, that didn't really exist when I did mine way, way forever ago. Mine, when I did mine, it was more, what is Kickstarter kind of thing. Now everyone knows what it is. And the only thing people hear about are the couple of big high profile flops. Um, are you dealing with that at all? Are you having to fight through that? Uh, we haven't had to deal with any of that yet. I mean, I, I'd only say that the, the one downside is, of course, when you're trying to get any publicity for it, as soon as you mention Kickstarter, the, you know, the journalists just go, oh, God, not another Kickstarter project. Like, they just don't want to hear about it. So it's been quite difficult getting, you know, getting the press out there. But um, no, in general, I think people are still pretty supportive. There's lots of people that still actually don't know what Kickstarter is. So, well, mostly I'm talking about my family and people that aren't quite as tapped into the internet scene as some of us. Yeah, that's cool. Um, are you, is Kickstarter going to be your exclusive funding source? Are you augmenting funding from other places? We are trying to get sponsors. So we've approached a couple of people and we're working on a few deals there. Another thing is most of our uh, crew is Canadian. So we're hoping to go for some Canadian grants using the Kickstarter funding as um, a kind of in-kind donation. Usually the, the Canadian grants request some form of um, existing funding for the project. So we could go to them with Kickstarter money and say, well, look, we've raised 40 grand. Can you give us another 40? And then we can really make this thing something great. So that's kind of the goal. I've had a lot of experience writing grants, brought in millions of dollars for research projects, but this would be my first attempt at sort of a, a creative project grant. Well, Karen, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, we really wish you a lot of luck, and we want to encourage everybody listening to go uh, back the project. You can, as you said, there's as little as $2, and for $10, I believe, you get a download stream of the finished film. So that's uh, basically the price of a movie ticket, so it's a good deal. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, just to remind you again, it's beepmovie.com. You can also check them out at gamesounddoc on Twitter, and you can see Karen at V-E-E-M-I-X-X on Twitter. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, guys. So in episode 25, the car recording roundtable, there was a little bit of a point of contention that came up later in the show. We were talking to Watson Wu about what he calls whip buys that he does for EA, which is where you take a mono mic and you pan it in the opposite direction of a car that's coming by you. Um, Rob Noakes doesn't really do that. He didn't, he didn't see a lot of use for something like that because it makes your buy that much faster. In Rob's opinion, you needed to have as much car on mic time during any given buy as you possibly can for the editor so that your editor's got a lot of you know your car on mic. So with Rob's technique is generally to track the car with the mic. Watson does both that and he does the opposite where you track in the opposite direction. And so, you know, neither Tim nor I had really 
sat there and objectively listened to this. So we had a hard time contributing to what was better about one or the other. We didn't have any sound samples right in front of us of, of what the different techniques sounded like. Uh, so, Tim, you decided to go... I took matters into my own hands, Renee. Listen to that. I went out, uh, I was at my family cabin, and it's summertime here, so that's what I do. I go to the cabin on the weekends, and about 10 minutes away from the cabin is a country highway that is straight, straight, straight. And uh, I got my friend that I was up at the cabin with to just keep driving by me in our car, and uh, I recorded it through a couple different ways. So... Again, the car was going, this is a Toyota Matrix that we're going to hear passing us. Is that like a four-cylinder Mini Coupe kind of car? Exactly. It's a hatchback. It's not a powerful engine at all. Okay. So you're not going to hear a lot of roar from this engine, but that was the car that we had with us. So I didn't wait for the perfect time when the insects were uh, asleep. This was just kind of a test. So these aren't recorded to be put in a library necessarily. They're just uh, to see the differences of the various kinds of microphone techniques on car passes. So I got my friend to drive way off in the distance and then drive past me each time going 80 kilometers an hour, which was the speed limit on this particular road. We did not feel like uh, getting a big ticket for this (laughs) experiment. Uh, So 80 kilometers an hour translates to roughly 50 miles an hour. So it's not the fastest a car can go, but it's not super slow either. And so I did four techniques, I think. I did uh, the whip by and the follow were both mono. So I'm using a Sankin CSS5 that is switchable between stereo, XY, and mono. So in mono mode, we did a follow. So I pointed the mic at the car from when it was far away till it passed me and pointed it as it was driving away as well. Then I did the whip by, which is where you point it the opposite direction of the car and as it passes in front of you, whip the microphone the opposite direction. And then I did two versions of a straight on, which was so the microphone was pointing perpendicular to the direction of the road, Uh, one stereo and one mono. So you can get the idea of these different ones. So obviously the follow would be the longest one. Here's the first follow. So with that, you can hear it approaching for a long time, and you can hear it going into the distance for a long time. The car pass for that one, I think, of usable sound is probably in the 30-second range. It's a clean car pass. It's pretty much what you're expecting to get out of that. It's really nice. Yeah. You know, it's right on mic, and you could take that and pan it with and cut it, and it'd be uh, you'd be in good shape. That's one of the straight on ones. So that one is pointing the mic. It stays still. The car passes the mic, but the mic does not move. I see. That one, you can tell that the pass is much faster. Let me play that one one more time. Yeah, so your tails drop off a lot more and you get more of a sense of speed actually when it's going by you. For sure. It really adds to the sense of speed. And that one being a mono shotgun, you're not hearing too much of either side of it. It approaches quickly and it disappears quickly. I did a straight on stereo. So this one, you get more of the approach and more of the away, but you still get that fast pass uh, through the front. (laughs) 
So that one sounds pretty great. Yeah, classic car buy. Yeah, exactly. That one uh, you can throw in the library and I think would be quite useful. Yep. So now let's try the whip pans. There's two examples of that. And again, whip pan is panning your mic in the opposite direction of the car as it's going by you. Holy crap, that's fast sounding. It's multitudes faster. It sounds more like a whoosh than a car, really. Like you could. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like the car. Um, it definitely. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the volume graph on that sucker, it's nothing, and then it's everything, and then it's nothing again. And it sounds it sounds hyper dopplered for sure. Now, this is my first attempt at doing a whip pie. So, uh, you know, I did three or four of them. I think these were the last two that I did. So it's not like I'm a professional saying that this is the be-all, end-all of whip buys. Maybe there's a kind of a ratio of how fast you pan the mic compared to how fast the car is going that someone that's done it a million times would be better at. How fast were you going? I tried to match kind of the speed of the car in the opposite direction. I mean, that's probably what I would do. That makes sense. Yeah. So that that's kind of the way that made most sense. If I did it slower, you kind of miss the apex of it. So again, I'd never done it before, but that's the way that seemed to work the best. But I can agree with both what Watson said and what Rob Noakes said. In terms of using it as a car element, it's kind of useless. It doesn't sound like the car. But from what Watson was saying, I can see it being a cool element that you add into other better passes that you recorded to add something to it. But you wouldn't use that as it on its own ever. The other thing Watson talked about was using it as, a, as an element to catch a, a big, throaty, muscly car, you know, something with a lot of energy to it. Um, yeah, that would probably work a lot better than my uh, Toyota Matrix. Here's, here's one more pass that's a whip by. It seems like you could make the car go anywhere from really fast to impossibly fast based on how, how quickly you whip that mic by. If you want it to sound fast, you do the straight on. Yeah. Because that one sounds kind of like a car, but like it's whipping by you really fast because the car is only in the pattern, especially when you're using the shotgun, it's only in that pattern of the mic for a very brief period of time. So it goes quite fast and it still sounds like a car though. So just a reference, here's your tracking followed by one more time. And here's a whip by. Yeah, that's a pretty stark difference. <laughs> same car, same speed, same road. Same mic. Yeah, same mic. Exactly. There you have that. That was cool. That was really interesting to listen to. I dug that. Yeah. Uh, a while back, the guys over at Tonsturm... Uh, kicked open a, a little side project of their own called Melted Sounds, where they're developing reactor instruments. The first one they came out with was called Whoosh. It's kind of in the same vein as Wave Warper from Sound Morph, but they're, uh, they end up producing very different results, and they have very different workflows. The Sound Morph Wave Warper module has multiple Whoosh banks, basically, so you, you add a bunch of food to it, uh, just a bunch of elements to it, and you can drag and drop folders, and you can randomize the folders if you want. And then you basically perform the whoosh in real time on an XY pad. 
and it's, it's got a trigger marker in it that you can drag around or either early or late on the whoosh. And as your drag by triggers uh, crosses the trigger threshold, it fires off a separate sample that you can load up for the trigger sound. So something, you know, some kind of stuff you can generate sounds like this inside a wave warper. That's with a slow move. It's got a really good Doppler sound built into it. Here's a little impacty one. It's also got the ability to load VSTs up on top of any of your individual instruments. It's got the ability to set how much pan you want happening in there. It's got a little chopper that it can do. So you can you can do the kind of the transformer style flutter chop. Yes. And that's got a lot of verb in it too. That's the built-in verb on the wave warper. So wave warper is all kinds of fun. I find wave warper very useful for performing specific whooshes that you need multi-layer whooshes to picture. I find it very good for that. Whoosh from Melted Sound, which is the sister of Tonsturm, um, is a different beast altogether. And to me, the biggest differentiator between what you do in Whoosh versus what you do in Wave Warper is the fact that Whoosh has four trigger elements instead of just one. So to me, Whoosh is almost a little bit of a misnomer. I much prefer the impacts, the uh, the design work that you can do with the impacts on that one versus versus what you can do on Wave Warper. The other big difference that, melt, that Melted Sounds Whoosh um, has compared to Wave Warper is it comes with a bunch of presets and a bunch of samples. Um, with Wave Warper, you pretty much have to have some sounds that you want to put in there um, in order to make, make it make any noise. It doesn't, it doesn't come preset with a bunch of stock sounds. The Tomstorm guys paired up with a bunch of the indie library folks, um, including their own stuff, and put a, put a whole bunch of really great stuff into the pre-built presets that come with it. So this is, this is just some playback off of some of the presets that come with. It's one called Abstract Zap. And you can speed them up and slow them down. But it's, it's a little more difficult to play them, to perform them as far as speed. Actually, they just released an update where you can drag the mouse back and forth inside of the uh, waveform and, and perform the speed. Because um, before it was just kind of running uh, based on whatever speed, it would just run in a loop. Here's another one called Chattering Spirits. You can hear what you can do with those impacts. Here's drum hits. The other thing that the Melted Sounds Woosh does is it gives you a lot of control over how that Doppler effect works. So you can you can dial in exactly how much pitch shift, how much air damping, how much panning you want happening inside of the Doppler effect. That's the electro sub. Here's a firecracker. Um, one thing that I tend to do is I'll tend to decoupler the Doppler and uh, with regards to the speed and distance link. And I'll turn my, my speed way down and my distance way up and it kind of exaggerates the effect and it works really well. Um, both Wave Warper and Woosh have 
things like tremolo, things like equalization, things like limiters and compressors that can really help you make things sound very thick. Um, the whoosh module requires the full version of reactor. So if you don't have the full version of reactor, you can't run it. Wave Warper is a standalone app. All you need to make Wave Warper work is the standalone app. Now that does different things routing wise, uh, because I can with whoosh, uh, as long as I do own the the, uh, the full version of NI Reactor, I can open that up. I can save it with a session. I can save all my settings in the Reactor Ensemble in my session folder. I can open it up on a track inside of Pro Tools or whatever DAW I'm using. So it, it's it's a little more portable with regards to the sessions that you're putting together. With that said, the way that I use any of these tools kind of tends to be in a breakout session anyway, so it's not like it's coming with me in a mix and firing off in real time, generally speaking. I'm just not going to use tools like this in that way. But as far as routing is concerned inside of Pro Tools, it's easy enough to fire it up as a plugin on a track and then just route that into a record track and roll. With Wave Warper, you have to come into your DAW basically out of whatever your audio setup is. It's just a little different. You can use Soundflower. You can kind of route around software-wise. But as far as getting it into a DAW, it's a different step that everyone kind of has to figure out depending on the uh, the setup of their individual systems. Yep. So Tim, for example, if you have to record a standalone app into your DAW, how do you tend to do that? Yeah, I would use Soundflower. You use Soundflower, right? Yeah. I haven't used Wave Warper myself, but I thought I read that it can record itself, can't it? It can, yeah. It's got a record button, so you can totally just roll on it. And then import that into a project. Yeah, and then you hit stop, and then it'll just it'll just jump right in. And honestly, the way, and, you know, I think, I believe Woosh will do that as well. But And, and the way that these types of plugins tend to work, uh, or the, the type of work that you tend to do with these type of plugins, that workflow totally works. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's how I would think I would use it, because it, it's kind of a play with it situation. You're not locking to picture when you're messing around with these things. So I feel like what I would do is hit record within that program, right? screw around, try and make some cool sounds while recording, then pull that file into Pro Tools and then try and sync it up with the picture and try and make it work that way kind of thing. Although again, you know, the way that Wave Warper really excels, the thing that it does well is performance, right? It does, you know, track width. And so it's one of those things to where I personally probably would get a sound that I like and then fire up my video and play it back and roll it against picture. It's a limitation of what the standalone app is, whereas, you know, Woosh is not a standalone app, so the routing's good, but the limitation is that you gotta you gotta buy reactor to, to make yeah, it work. You gotta drop more cash. It's yeah, it just it's gonna cost more initial startup if you don't already have reactor. Um, or you know the NA bun- the NI bundle, that kind of thing. I just had a weird experience with native instruments where I wanted to upgrade. I had the NI bundle of eight, and I think they're at nine now, or maybe I had seven and now they're at eight now. You can't buy the upgrade in stores anymore. They've changed the policy. You have to order it. Huh. Yeah. So I had to get this like 12 DVDs shipped to my house from Germany, (laughs) where last time I updated, I just went to the store down the street from me, bought it and walked over. So it ended like it's the same price, but then you got to pay border fees and all that, which was frustrating so right maybe that's just a canadian thing that they don't let them do it but i got the impression it was now worldwide that upgrades and upgrades and updates they also have those two different functions uh that mean different things but anyway i was frustrated with that 
we deal with that too with with our libraries at Echo Collective. Our stuff is all contact stuff mm-hmm. on the musician side, and that's just something that's it's it's a platform that they've built, but it's a broad platform. But you still have to deal with native instruments to uh, to make it work. And on the support side. It sucks, but it probably doesn't suck as much as writing something from the ground up the way that the Soundmorph guys did, because that's that's impressive when you do that. They're power users right there. Yeah, no doubt. To me, the the big difference between Wave Warper and Woosh is Woosh has a lot more simultaneous sounds going on. You've got four source Wooshes and you've got four impacts that'll all go in any one given Woosh. Whereas with Wave Warper, you've got three source Wooshes and one impact. So to me, again, you got more layers going on inside of Woosh than you do inside of Wave Warper. And what that ends up doing is it ends up allowing you to kind of tailor certain things. And it's a little bit, you know, video gaming, right? Because you can load up a bank of individual hits per and have it randomly choose between these four sounds for this part of this layer and these four sounds for the second part of this layer. And it'll also randomly offset when those impacts hit. So they don't all have to hit at the exact same time which gives it a layer of depth and complexity that really works well. I do a ton of hockey stuff. And so one of the immediate uses for me with Woosh was to create just a bunch of hockey checks. So I actually was able to dream up a whole bunch of hockey checks very, very quickly with the tool. Let me kick it up here. My, my, my broad approach was I had four Woosh layers, right? Uh, and, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a series of hockey checks that I could use against picture just as, as, as my own stock custom library of stuff that I can use for all of the hockey work that I do. So the, my four whoosh layers ended up being skates, like an actual like whoosh sound of my belt whipping around in the, in the warehouse. Because <laughs> that, that you're always taking your belt off in the warehouse. You know, I, my, my, I, let me show you my belt whooshes because they're awesome. Belts. Whoosh. My belt wishes make me happy. <laughs> Tell me that ain't cool. That's pretty awesome. And that's my feet moving around there. But you know what? It's it's like a big, you know, I don't know, it just cuts a lot of air in a very interesting way. And and you know, when you when you pitch it around And when you EQ it, it just, it sounds killer. So I, I loaded up about four different belt whooshes by and four different skates, uh, skate up by. I actually use hockey stops for, my, for all of my skates, that kind of thing. So it's as though you're, and, and I'm not looking for checks into the boards. I'm looking for open ice checks because I've got a whole different set of uh, checks into the boards that I can do. So a bunch of those kind of skates. Uh, initially I did a version with crowds, but then I figured, nah, I don't want to do that. Because I want to, I want to kind of custom build my crowds per. But I did want the skate and the whoosh layer in there, so I ended up only using two whoosh layers. But I used all four impact layers, right? So my four impact layers were the actual hit, which were some football type hits that I had recorded, those type of things, and then I had some grunts. <laughs> so I actually recorded myself doing a bunch of grunts, put a bunch of those in there. So I had the football hit, I had the grunt. I had a low end, I had an LFE thing, um, just to kind of add a whole bunch of low, low, low to it. Um, and then I had a, a separate layer of plastic of, of, you know, the actual pads. And that stuff I pre-EQ'd to be mostly just plastic so I could control the low end. 
Um, and so I put them all together and I started playing. So uh, as I started kind of generating them, this is what I came up with. So those are my medium ones, and I put a little distortion with it just to kind of thicken them up, you know. And, you know, I've got, I've got these for days now. Because my highlight videos tend to have just tons and tons of hits in them. And then I went even faster and distorted it more. For the really cut through a mix kind of hit. And then I did some slower bright ones. And you see how you can offset the impact. So those are for the big dramatic hits. And then I did the fast clean ones. You see how much the actual whooshing and the, um, the plastic comes through on those. And, you know, it was very easy, I thought, to kind of get a mix happening of all the elements that was working well. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I sat down and in the course of, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes of pulling elements and chucking them in there and, and messing around, I got, you know, a good solid hundred or so um, hockey hits that I'd be very proud to use in any of my hockey projects. I'm assuming that since these are like highlight videos and stuff to get the crowd going in the stadium, there's huge music going on as well, right? And those just would cut right through amazingly, I imagine. Yeah, you know, a lot of the elements that I was using, I kind of knew right where to go because they're the elements that I have to use anyway to cut through the mixes that are going on there. So, you know, I kind of already knew exactly what a lot of my source was going to end up being in the first place, uh, just based on my experience dealing with making those type of hits get get through, you know, rock and roll. So would you have been able to do this with the Sound Morph one? Uh, no, the Wave Warper one doesn't have enough impact sounds, uh, impact layers, I guess. Uh, you've only got one impact layer and you've got three whoosh layers. And what I ended up doing in the Melted Sounds one was using only two whoosh layers and all four impact layers. Uh, because for this specific type of thing, I'm more designing impacts than I am designing whooshes. So the Melted Sounds uh, whoosh tool ended up being the better tool for hits, for generating, you know, just loads and loads of hits as opposed to for custom sculpting a big move. And the Doppler in these, is it something that you would replace like the Waves Doppler with or is this just for doing crazy sounds? Like, is it a realistic Doppler? Yeah, it's a great Doppler. Both of them have great Dopplers in them, actually. This one has, the, the Melted Sounds Woosh one has uh, similar parameter control as the Waves Doppler. Um, and the other really nice thing about it is that it will work in 96, so I built all of those in 96K. You know what? I probably would actually replace the, wa the, the Waves Doppler with it because the other big thing that the Melted Sounds one does is it allows you to set a delay between um, instances, right? So it'll just, uh, it'll play something back and then you can have it pause for 500 milliseconds or a second or two or three seconds in between each repeat, whereas the Wave one just gives you a DC offset and jumps straight back to it. And so it's real ugly sounding. Um, when it when it travels from the end of its path back to the beginning. Um, and the Melted Sounds one is not. It's very clean sounding um, with regards to when you're doing iterations. So, yeah. Right on. So, all in all, you think they're both great. They just have different uses. 
Yeah, they're two totally different tools. Um, it's probably worth, if you have the resources, owning both of them because they do different things. Uh, Wave Warper does a great job of sculpting and giving you the ability to throw VST plugins on each individual layer so you can do a lot of just crazy processing per layer and get a lot of your depth and complexity that way. Melted Sounds is more if you just need to generate a whole ton of sounds um, in a short period of time if you need numbers. Um, and also Melted Sounds uh, Woosh is better if you need multiple impact layers. If you're building impacts more than you're building whooshes, Melted Sounds Woosh is the better tool for that. If you're building whooshes more than you're building impacts, uh, Wave Warper is probably the better tool for that because you can perform it a little better. You can perform it a little more directly. Um, it's, um, it's got... It's got a, a, a 2D access, then it's also compatible with Leap, so you can really sculpt those individual moves um, with a little more refinement inside of the Sound Morph tool. Okay, let's wrap her up. I want to give a big shout out and a big thanks to both the guys over at Sound Morph and the guys over at Tom Stern Melted Sounds for hooking us up with the uh, the demo units of both of these plugins for evaluation and for us to talk about them. They're just they're just really great tools. They're they're built by really great guys, both of them. They have great support. They have great user interfaces. It's the future of where all that stuff is going. Um, so shout out. Thanks thanks to both you guys, both your companies, and uh, you guys rock. If you want to hear more about Soundmorph and about the way that the Soundmorph Wave Warper works, we talked to Jason Cushing over in episode 16. Uh, we had a real good long discussion about everything they're, pulling, they're putting out over there. They've got more new tools out right now. They've got Time Flux coming out. Time Flux is out. I've, I purchased it, but I haven't had a chance to kick it open yet. I bought it in the pre-sale. So I'm looking forward to playing with that one for sure. Yeah, that's, a, that's an exciting looking tool right there. That thing looks cool. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Karen Collins for jumping on with us today. Thanks to Stacey Dupass for letting us bend and twist her voice on our new bumpers. Uh, you can follow the show at The Tone Benders. Go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. You can find us on SoundCloud, find us on Stitcher. Check us out at Facebook.com slash ToneBendersPodcast. It's all there. It's all new. Sorry for making you guys change everything, but do it now. It's going to be awesome as we move forward. We'll see you guys next time. See you, Tim. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to ToneBenders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the ToneBenders on Twitter or find ToneBenders Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Thank you.